Welcome everyone to Tavern Voices. My name is Kevin King and live with me as always is Tyler Crowley. And I say live because not only are we doing video, which we haven't done in about three years, but <laughs> this is happening in real time for people who are watching on Facebook. Um, but if you're listening to the podcast next time, uh, if this goes well, we'll let you know ahead of time so you can watch us and then ask questions and chime in, make it a little bit more interactive. I don't know that Tyler will answer anything no, but I don't like the, uh, I, I, that's what I like about podcasts. No, uh, no callers, no, uh, immediate comments. That's what I like about podcasting. If I want to get immediate feedback, I'll, uh, I'll go back to radio, man. Get I thought that's what you that. always told me was great about your job in radio is you get that live interaction. Yeah, no, that's exactly. But that's when I'm on the radio. <laughs> right. I like, no, I like no criticism. No one's saying anything to me when I'm, uh, when I'm doing the podcast, but I'll, I'll let you interact with the, uh, with everyone else. I'm just gonna, that's fine. I, I don't want to, you're a celebrity. All right. That's right. I'm, that's right. I'm just your old roommate at this point. So, so are we going to call this the, um, tiger King episode? Are we going to talk all about tiger King? It should be Tyler King. Ty oh, that was uh, very, have you seen that on Netflix yet? I have heard about it. Have not probably end up binging it this weekend since everyone's oh my God. going on. I binged it, it last weekend and it is everything that you have heard and more. So get is on it, it. I mean, did they really just capture this anomaly? Because it sounds like the most yeah. absurd plot or group of characters possible. Yeah, it's very weird. I mean, um, I didn't know anything about tiger uh, zoos. And now I know like everything about tiger zoos. It's kind of, it's like they showed you there's one in Myrtle Beach that I want to visit where the guy uh, apparently runs like a cult and it's, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to describe it cause if you haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin it for you, but let's just say it's yeah. I mean, I'm actually thinking about rewatching it this weekend because I feel like there's some stuff I missed the first time. So I need to go back and be like, wow, I didn't, I didn't even know like this. It's like an onion, right? Like layer after layer, after layer, after layer. And, and uh, it's good. It's good though. If you haven't well, seen I, it, I guess maybe you haven't been to the Carolina tiger rescue. No, uh, <laughs> it's about 45 minutes west of here in Raleigh, uh, middle of the state, a little town of Pittsburgh. And uh, I went there back last fall and it was um, it was actually pretty interesting because I feel like the, the trailer, I did watch the trailer on Netflix for the Tiger King and it was talking about how many like uh, tigers and lions, I guess there are in the uh, in captivity yeah. or I guess as pets rather than in the wild well, there's more there's more in captivity it's like double or triple the amount in captivity than are in the wild it's like yeah and, and at the carolina tiger rescue they talk about that how all of these people get them as pets yeah. um and then they end up like just not being able to handle it and they had all kinds of exotic cats it's not just tigers they had bobcats and lynx and all kinds of crazy bears i might but they it was it was just fascinating to see and it was really sad when you think about these people get these animals that are going to be an 800 pound tiger what are you going to do with that yeah no i will say they're, they're adorable like the tiger cubs and everything like they're adorable and then of course they become gigantic and they can murder you and so people go i don't want this anymore but like yeah i don't get that i don't get like do you not know that it's gonna like grow i mean like i guess sometimes you might be confused with the dog like you buy a dog and they're like oh yeah this is only going to be like you know, 20 pounds and then ends up being like 30 or 35. And you're like, oh, okay. But like, does anyone buy the, the, the tiger cub thinking it's going to be like a 20 pound tiger? Like, I mean, it, that's what I don't get is how do you not know that that tiger is going to become a tiger? 
like it's a tiger cub like did they not tell you that when you bought it it's very um i'll tell you that's one of actually the side stories is how they make so much money with the tiger cubs but then they don't make any money when the tiger gets older and so what do they do and there's some allegations that some of them um you know euthanasia and stuff like that but i, I don't want to ruin it i don't want to ruin it if you haven't seen it don't you know, it's, it's no. it sucks it sucks i'll tell you like you remember back in the day when there'd be like an ep like a Seinfeld episode to be on TV. We're going way back to the nineties here. And then like everyone the next day was talking about it and everyone on radio is talking about it. Everyone on TV is talking about it. We don't have that anymore because you can't, you, you, you know, so like I watched it last weekend, Kevin, you're going to watch it this weekend. And then, you know, you still can't talk about it because three weeks, four weeks. So then it's like two, three months. You're like, all right, now I can finally talk about it. And no one wants to talk about it because it's everyone's it's like, that's old. I'm watching the new documentary on Netflix now, The Staircase Two or whatever it is, and so I miss that. I miss yeah. I miss being able to talk about pop culture things on the radio or whatever. Not that I was ever able to. I mean, I'm not like that old, even though I do have gray in my beard. But no, even even with major shows, I mean, you see that there's there's kind of this new social uh, embargo, yeah, and then and then it's just lifted. And good luck. I mean. If you don't see the first or the latest, say Game of Thrones or Walking Dead, is something I used to watch. I haven't watched it in a couple of years. Um, you know, no you'd, have, you'd have a few days, maybe a week, and then the memes are out, and it's just. <laughs> <ruined>. <laughs> I know. That is true. It is weird. The only place that does not have the social embargo, as you mentioned, because like no one on radio talks about it, no one on TV talks about it, is uh, Instagram. Instagram will ruin a show in like five seconds the minute it ends like they'll start posting stuff and everyone seems kind of okay with that like instagram gets like a pass i don't know why but they Insta get a pass instagram is always in the future i don't know how many times that i've seen a meme and i'll see something start popping up and i'll think to myself how what have i missed because well, sometimes I, they pay for that they pay for that no i mean the more organic stuff like inside jokes well, the, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's true that's what true. i'm missing it'll have been from an episode of something and then it's the latest trend you know, that everybody's, everybody's talking about. Well, that's true too, but they also pay for those, those organic things mm -hmm. where it, oh, it'll, yeah. they'll, they'll take a clip from a movie or a show on Netflix and Netflix will pay the influencers to post it. And it looks like, um, it's just a regular meme. And sometimes they do end up becoming organic, but sometimes those are actually paid for. Like, I'll tell you, it's really slick how they're able to do those, um, those, um, sponsored kind of, um, posts because people don't even realize them how they're doing it. If you do it right, I, sometimes you know, and it's bad, but um, sometimes it's pretty good. But Tiger King's big. It's keeping us all distracted from the number one story, which is the coronavirus. And uh, Kevin, I'm not sure if you've seen the rumors, but apparently Cooper is going to be announcing a stay or what do they call it? Shelter in place order at four o'clock. So what time is it now? It's like three. So I've heard You're he's going to announce future. it at four. Yeah. It's I'm, I'm 329 here, 330 there, whatever. By Microsoft, by Microsoft <laughs> from the future by Microsoft. Um, so they're saying that's going to happen at four o'clock. I'm not sure if he's going to say it goes into effect at four o'clock, which I doubt, you know, if you look at most of the, the shelter orders, it's like they give you 24 to 48 hours to actually like um, get ready for it. So, but I've right. heard he's going to announce it. So I don't know if he's already announced it or what's going on, but um, he's thinking about it. So I hope, oh, you're, I hope you're stocked up, Kevin. Um, oh, I, I'm stocked. I'm stocked. I'm I'm in flannel and a Chevrolet hat. That's, That's pretty true. Much, That's true. 
you don't you don't see me in a nice Oxford like like no this. no me and my pink pants aren't gonna aren't gonna last in the apocalypse very long probably <laughs> a few more days I'm gonna look like I'm in the Taliban it's getting pretty rough over here I need to uh yeah the cut, cut hair salons things are getting bad things are getting bad yeah, but um I'm glad we're talking about it because I've been a little concerned Tyler because when it's been what three weeks since our last podcast everything going on two two weeks something like yeah. that. Because I feel like the last time we talked, it was several days prior to this situation evolving to where it is now. All of a sudden, the lockdowns, the shelter in places, all that. We were still in that, what is coronavirus? And you were pretty doom and gloom. And I've been concerned because I, <laughs> I follow you on Twitter, and sometimes you're just retweeting stuff. Like, I'm surprised you've left your house the last I week. don't. I mean, if I don't have to. I'm staying inside and I've been getting a lot of flack from people on my Facebook page because I've been posting some of this stuff and you know, <laughs> I don't think people are realizing how bad this could be. Um, I think people are still under this impression that like, this is the peak like, Oh, you know, it's not so bad. Look, it didn't end up being that bad. We can move on now. And you know, this morning, I mean, just here's an example. So, there's this one major study. It was done by the Imperial College of London. And uh, Neil Ferguson is like the like Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan of epidemiology. And he put the study forward that said, if we do nothing, 2 million people would die in the United States. If we do a slight mitigation policy, 1 million people would die. So we need to do a full-on suppression, like what we're doing right now, putting everyone in their homes and just everyone kind of staying where they are. And they didn't say, I, I can't remember how much they said, you know, that would be, but so they were saying like, you know, if, if we do a little bit, it's going to kill a million people. So now he comes out and says, oh, the new numbers are in. I think some of these, these mitigation policies that we're doing are having more effect. I do not think this, you know, he's, he's over in the UK. He's, I do not think that this is going to be, um, it's not going to overrun the healthcare system like I originally thought. And so maybe my numbers now are around 20,000 or less. And so everyone's like, oh, look at this 20,000, 20,000. That's less than the seasonal flu. First of all, he's talking about the UK and the UK has significantly fewer people in it than the United States. And his initial numbers were around 500 to 250,000 for the UK. So he's about, it's about a 10th of what it was. So that means if it's a 10th of what it was in the UK, let's say it's a 10th of what it was in the United States, that's a hundred thousand. And so the new great news scenario is still a hundred thousand people are going to die in the United States. He said this thing would peak in the UK in two to three weeks. We're a couple of weeks behind, which means we're not going to see our peak until May, maybe early June. So that's the one thing I don't think people are realizing. They're going, oh yeah, things are bad in New York. You know, this is the worst of it. There's only 700 cases in North Carolina. We got 10 million people. I don't understand what all this, the, the hoopla is about. It's because we're like still so far into the beginning. The analogy I've used a couple of times is if you're in a race and um, you know, you're trying to figure out where we are in the race, we're like in the starting block and the gun is like still in the motion of going off. Like we're still that early on. And so that's why people are like, oh, making judgments on what's happening now. We're so early in this that it's hard to actually calculate. Um, and I don't, I don't envy decision makers. I think they have a really hard decision because our economy has taken a massive hit. But I'll tell you, if the rosiest projection is only 100,000 people die in the United States, that's a little worrisome. All right. Are you done? I'm done now. Are you done now? All right. 
Listen here, media doom and gloom guy. I know, this is, I know this. I know this is how you get your listeners and all that. I want to correct a couple of things that you said. Just, okay. just your, just, just the numbers that you, you spout off. You're absolutely right. I think Ferguson was way off base. He's kind of reeled that in a little bit. Once we have reality, and I don't blame him for that necessarily. I don't think he was out there trying to scare people. It was preliminary numbers. When you yeah. first look at, if all you did was look at Italy two weeks ago, you probably thought that. But then once things started to smith, although Italy had another thousand deaths today or something, yeah, Italy's still getting it's, worse. Italy's not getting better. <laughs> Italy, Italy is Italy is not <laughs> is not doing well. But um, but in in London, so I mean in the in the UK, it was half a million estimate. Now he's saying sub twenty thousand somewhere in that yeah. game. So you're three four percent, not ten percent. So looking at that, no no, it's you, about it's ten percent. He said two fifty was his original estimate. No, now he said twenty thousand. No, 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 no. 500 was the worst case scenario. The okay. mitigation policy was 250,000. Now it's down to 20,000. So it's, it's 10% of that. Okay. So just like plus or minus 90%. <laughs> okay. Pretty, pretty close. Nice, nice rounding for statistical okay. uh, analysis. So okay. that being said, I've had a very hard time dealing with all this because of things like that. No one has an idea. You have wildly different numbers. And, and now everyone is quoting China, no new cases in China. That's garbage. There's no way yeah. they. That, there was a report from uh, I follow like a Eunice Yoon who's on CNBC who's who's in uh, China. She's an embedded journalist there, um, and several other people. And they're talking about how a report came out a week ago. They're not even testing new people. Yeah, China. of course not. China. So <laughs> I don't trust anything that comes out of there. And so Russia's lying. Iran's lying. All those countries are lying. <laughs> Russia says they don't have any 100%. cases, and like. <laughs> And, and Putin's walking around in a hazmat suit, like everything's okay, everything's all right. I'm, right. I'm getting on the spaceship and leaving the, the freaking planet, but everything's okay, guys. <laughs> so we're only operating with the data that we know, and that's really only us. And we don't even know anything. It's, right. This is just this is best guess, yeah. Best guess. So what I've been trying to do is mitigate all of this mess and uh, extremes, because like you and I have talked about this over the last couple of weeks, texting back and forth about how there's like. There are literally, and I see them on Twitter. There are people who say this is all just a conspiracy to tank the economy. <laughs> there are people who think it's just that. an excuse to implement martial law and take our rights and and all of this. Um, there's a lot of people where we're going to get to the stimulus in a little bit, but I mean, you're you're the Fed injecting four trillion and and new. I mean, there's there's a lot going on behind the scenes that I think are going to be much larger issues than this is. At the same time. We are dealing with an un, a previously unknown virus, and I think you brought this up in our last podcast. Um, we don't have any immunity to this. We don't have any natural resistance. We don't have any vaccines. So it's naturally going to be worse than the flu. But the question is, is it the flu or is it a made-up contagion factor where if you walk by somebody and breathe it in, you fall over in the street? It's not that either. Yeah. So my issue is this, as we talked about this last time, is if you look at the math, and I shared this article from Wall Street Journal yesterday, and I saw that you shared it too, which made me feel important. Like, hey, I found something <laughs> that was maybe helpful to everyone else. Um, and it was talking about just- It was an op-ed too. It was an op-ed. Correct. By two-, uh, <laughs> two, two uh, Yeah, Dr. Cassidy uh, and uh, Dr. Dr. Morris, who's from at- From Stanford. Stanford. Right. Well, Cassidy's, Cassidy's a, a Louisiana uh, senator. And Moore's is a professor at Stanford. There were two doctors. Are we talking about the same article? 
Yes, Bill Cassidy is a senator from Louisiana. I know who Bill Cassidy is. I didn't see his name on the article. He's the one. It's Cassidy and Moores. That's that's the two guys that wrote the article. All right. You're gonna. Be- <laughs> I'm not gonna bring it up. Double check. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, if you, no, I, I appreciate you trying to no, prove me right. Must be a different article. I'm oh, talking I'm about. Is coronavirus is deadly? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There, that was the other op-ed where they were talking about uh, the immunity, uh, herd immunity being used. I apologize. You're right. You're right. This I was fine. wrong. I'll admit it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just confused. This is Dr. Uh, ben David and Dr. Bacha Raya. Yes. Those, those fellas. And it's funny because uh, Ben David is the name of the DA in, um, um, here down here in uh, Southeastern North Carolina. But that guy's last name is Ben David. So I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. But continue, continue. <laughs> they talk, and, and you brought this up about how uh, in the last podcast, the point is how these things grow exponentially. Yeah. Because it's it's a network effect. It's, it's the same principle you use on Facebook. I add you as a friend, and then you add a friend, and then I add, and as people keep adding friends, the network grows exponentially. So they said, if you look at the, the all likelihood, this has been here since at least early January. That's the first confirmed case. And we're talking about measuring something that we weren't even looking for. And that's one of my biggest things is they act like, I think a lot of people logically equate this as, oh, well, the first confirmed case was here. So that was like patient zero, as if it originated right with that person. That person just happened to touch some other person somewhere else where that's been spreading the whole time. They got it from someone and, and somebody else probably got it and they gave it to who knows who else. It, it's not isolated. So if you go back to early January and you extrapolate the numbers out of it, doubling every three days by March, by middle of March, you had potentially 9 million cases in the United States since middle of March to now. I mean, two weeks later, if you keep doubling every three days, you're up to everyone's come in contact with it in theory, which obviously isn't the reality because we started social distancing we started you know washing our hands and wiping down countertops which i thought was a good step for you know a first world country and so that's my problem is it's not that this isn't serious and that there aren't like this is something bad if this had never been introduced many of these people would not have died now obviously it exacerbates uh you know underlying conditions there's already a lot of people who probably would have caught something else and maybe died somewhere down the line, but it expedited. It's not a good situation. So anybody who thinks it's fake is wrong. Is it the most existential health crisis? I don't think that's the case either because so many people have come into contact with this and so many people will never show symptoms and never got tested. We're just looking at such a small sample size. That's my issue. And people keep sharing on Facebook. Oh, the number of cases went up 50 in North Carolina yesterday or whatever. That's out of people who are symptomatic and actually got a test and they got a test back and that test may have taken a week. And those people already came in contact with who knows how many people, right? Because the math doesn't just stop when we're all inside our house, you know, in our, inside our houses now, we're not being able to, uh, to dine in at Chili's, which has really put a damper in my Friday nights. I don't know about yours. Well, I mean, I think that's valid. I mean, it's possible. I mean, that's the same thing the Oxford study found, which they said that uh, half of uh, half of uh, Britain was was infected. And once again, it's best guess. I mean, we don't know. And the problem is, here's the problem I have, is that a lot of these initial arguments have all been sort of like disproven, 
with regards to like, oh, it's only going to be old people. And then we're seeing like 30 and 40 year olds in the ICU who are on ventilators. And so the problem that we have is that everyone's guessing and trying to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, we have places like Italy who are still seeing a thousand deaths a day. You're looking at New York, which I mean, Andrew Cuomo said this thing isn't going to peak for three weeks. And we're already seeing like over a hundred deaths a day in New York. They have over 500 deaths right now. He said their, their system is almost overwhelmed. One hospital had 13 people dying it the other day. I mean, you're, is this going to kill, um, you know, 10 million people? No, but could it kill 50,000 people? Could, I mean, could it kill 500,000 people? Yeah, I think it could. Um, I think there are a lot of lives that are at risk. And the fact that this social distancing, I mean, think about what we're doing and we're still seeing these numbers rise leads me to believe that this thing would have been worse had we not done this. The problem is, is that um, we obviously have to worry about the economy, but um, I don't know how you deal with that. But I think that this is, once again, I think the biggest problem that we're facing, and this is even what those guys, the Wall Street Journal piece and others have argued, is that if all of what you're saying is true, then we're, where we are right now should be the peak. And the other argument is, is that we're a month away from the peak. And that's going to be the, a much bigger, a much bigger factor, because if you're seeing 100 to 200 people die a day in New York and we're three weeks away from the peak, what is that number going to be three weeks from now? Um, and so that's the question, because if we've already all been in contact, then we should be at the peak right now. So we should not be seeing these death numbers go up. That's that's why I'm not sure if I agree with this idea, because we've already social distance. So we should we're separating. So we shouldn't be seeing these these numbers jump the way that they are unless this thing is still spreading exponentially. Well, here's here's the reason I disagree with that. And and I, I actually probably subscribe more. I think Dr. Gottlieb is definitely more a little doom and gloom. And he's oh, saying yeah. three yeah. he's he's saying three weeks, three to four weeks is his estimate on a peak. Um and but but here's a couple of factors you haven't taken. Because- but, but hold on, but real quick here, real quick here, just going off that because if that's true, um, three weeks that means that a lot of the numbers that we saw in the Wall Street Journal piece are not true, because we should be at the peak now. If this nope. thing started spreading in early January, and because like then the UK right now. So here's here's another indicator. If that is true, then the UK should not be seeing growth. Because the UK, if half the population has already been infected, their numbers, I mean, it's like um, its like herd immunity at this point. If half the people have been affected, you're running out of hosts. That number should be dropping in the UK. So if over the next week those numbers grow in the UK, the Oxford study gets thrown in the garbage because well, that number should not be dropping. Here's where I disagree. Should, should First of all, it's a lagging indicator. So you're talking about it, it can take it up to two weeks. Sometimes I, I read somewhere they said 23 days in some cases to show symptoms. So you're talking about people catching this and spreading it who got it to Well, yeah, but 5 days is like is like the average incubation period. So it's the median, correct? So yeah. let's say that yes, we've been social distancing um except for very densely populated areas. I think North Carolina is great. I mean, when I'm out and about and I'm practicing safe with like I do this crap all through winter anyway <laughs> because People are gross. The flu and colds and everything goes around all the time, right? Um, let's say just five days ago, someone got 
infected. So up until this, the point I'm getting at is it's a lagging indicator. So it's it's going to trail and it's going to keep spiking. I think what we should have done is got a hold of this much sooner. Obviously, I'm definitely in that camp of they should have said, hey, this is going around. We need to really ramp up, um, you know, washing down countertops, washing hands, doing all this stuff before it spread to the number of people that it's at, because I think it reached a critical mass. And now you're starting to see those numbers catch up because those people are, you got to think they got sick. They went to the hospital. They're not necessarily on a ventilator the day they became symptomatic. Right. Yeah. So, but I'm saying it's five, if five days is the average incubation period, then the fact that we're seeing these cases go up, I mean, these people weren't infected three or four weeks ago. They were infected three days ago or four days ago for the most part. Right. I mean, so, that, so what I'm saying right. is, is that, is that this is growing. It's not going the other way, which means that this idea that all these people have already been infected. Yeah. There may be a lot. There's tons of more people that are infected than we know. It could be double triple. But I'm saying is, is that if we're seeing another month of this, then I think a lot of these arguments that this thing's been around for longer, I don't think necessarily are true because oh. the highly, the highly New York should have been having this two, three weeks ago. If, if it had spread as quickly as they were saying a month ago, this thing had gotten here in January, New York would already be in trouble right now. So there was some stoppage in the beginning. I don't, I don't think it spread as quick as they're saying it spread. Yeah. Well, I disagree with that just for this reason is I think part of the problem is, and this is my second point, is that by by making this out into a big deal, which it's it's serious. If people get this, they need to be taken care of. It's serious. But if you came on television every time someone caught the flu and you said a congressman just tested positive for the flu during flu season and you cause a panic of pushing people into that system where they're going to they're going to be more likely to catch it or to feel like they are. Um, uh, I feel like if I came to you, Tyler, and I said, we don't know what's wrong with you. We test you for the flu. It came back negative. We don't know what's wrong. You're having a hard time breathing. You're going to psychologically have more long-term effects from that. If we go, hey, it's the common flu. You should be fine. Go home, rest up, go for it. Right. And so I think that there is an element of mental uh, freak out nature that people are going into hospitals and going into places where they're going to get sicker than if they were just in a normal situation and they had never heard of coronavirus and they go, yeah, I had a fever for a couple of days. It was weird. I called in sick. I didn't go to work, but instead it's driving them into the healthcare system. I think that's also expediting the, uh, the overload of the system because now, I mean, we already know that 85, you're, you're not going to be, a, you're not going to be on a test or negative. So all these people are flooding into doctor's offices yeah, and taking up resources. But that's so not, that's, that's, that's not a problem. That's not a problem. The no, overflow is, the, the 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 people going to get a test is not overloading the system. It's people that are on ventilators, and I don't care how bad the um um the placebo effect is. You're not going to be healthy and need a ventilator because you think you have the coronavirus. You're going on a ventilator because you have the coronavirus and you are close to death. That's going and get testing is not overloading the system. Overloading the system is people on ventilators that need hospitalization. The placebo effect is not that strong. It is absolutely overwhelming the system. They're having to use resources, masks, and but that's equipment the, to. But that's to, that's to not the concern. The concern is the hospitals and beds. People are not going to take a bed getting a test. Everything getting a test, I, you go wait in the waiting room and you get a test. 
Like, I'm talking about getting a hospital bed is because you can't breathe. Yes. I don't, that that's is not the placebo effect. That what is I'm saying is that is what is happening at the hospitals in New York and in Italy. They're 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 having to basically if you're they're 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 basically doing triage in Italy. They're saying like, sorry, we're not going to let you use a ventilator because you're 75 years old and a 30 year old needs it. Like that's real, and that could be coming to New York very very soon. What I'm saying is that resources like everything I'm reading is they're lambasting 3M for not having masks. They're having to have people donate masks and gloves. Those are real pieces of equipment that would not need to be used if they weren't having to use a mask and gloves for every several people they run a test on that have no symptoms and the test comes back negative. Yeah, I mean, the mask, the mask issue, I understand that. But I'm saying is that's not going to lead to deaths. What's going to lead to deaths is not having enough ventilators. And that is because this thing is still spreading and it's not overloading of the system is not people worried that they have the coronavirus. It's people having the coronavirus. It's, it's, it's manpower too, Tyler for every, yeah. if 90% of the time that a nurse is spending administering a test versus treating a sick patient, that is of course going to have a negative impact. on. Yeah. Mortality. But a lot of these, a lot of these tests are happening at doctor's office. I'm, people that are people that are close to dying are in ERs. People aren't being taken out of the ER to administer coronavirus tests. How many people go to a primary care? For, I mean, that's what they're trying to get people to do is stay away. But people are yeah. going to hospitals and going into situations. I understand that. But I'm saying is, is that those are um, those are nurses dealing with them. I'm saying is, is the ER nurses are are in the ER. It's not like they're pulling people out of the ER to administer tests. And if worse comes to worse, then they'll make all the people sit there and they won't administer tests if the ER gets too crowded. I don't think the people freaking out about the coronavirus is having is affecting the uh, shock to the healthcare system. The shock to the healthcare system is not having enough equipment for the people that are close to dying or close to death. That's right. the problem. And what I'm saying is, is that, yeah, that doesn't help. And there are a lot of negative tests, but I still think is that all it takes, I mean, it doesn't take a lot. All it takes is a 10%, 20% spike in this, um, in people going to the hospital because they can't breathe. And now all of a sudden we don't have enough ventilators for people. And we are three or four weeks away from that. And then what happens is, is that it compounds. So you have the people that are there with the coronavirus who can't breathe. And then you have someone that say has a heart attack or someone that has, um, um, some other, um, you know, issue they need to go to the hospital for. They're having just, let's say they have asthma and they're having a severe asthma attack. They don't have a ventilator. The person that has a heart attack doesn't get a ventilator. And now all of a sudden people are dying, not because of the coronavirus, but because the resources have been used up by the coronavirus. And that is why everyone is freaking out because it only takes right. like a small spike to cause the entire healthcare system to uh, be overloaded. Right. And that's not what I'm disagreeing with. The whole point in spreading this out and flattening the curve is to minimize that spike to the healthcare. Like that's really the underlying issue is what you just said. It's it's the immediate need because you, you only have so much. Now, the issue I have is why? And so maybe like let's, let's circle back because this is an issue that I've had entirely with this situation is why is no one prepared for a 10 percent spike? Because it doesn't make sense because we shouldn't, it's like, you ever seen the movie margin call? No. Okay. Well, um, there's a great scene in the movie, basically the margin calls about the financial crisis and this one firm, I don't know if they're trying to be Lehman brothers or whoever, but they figure out that the housing market's going to crash. And the way they figure it out is this one young analyst 
is looking at the, the numbers and he realizes that trading patterns and the way that they figure out what they should and should not sell on the open market is based off of historical moves in the market. And that's how their entire trading pattern is, is decided off of. And what's happened with the spikes in the housing market is all of a sudden they're outside of those norms. And then now all of a sudden it's going to cause a collapse. And now they have to completely change their entire trading system. Most hospitals are set up for what's happening day to day. If they have a plethora of resources they're never using every single day, then that's a, they're wasting money. That's money that, that could be going to actually saving a life right now. So you want to have extra resources, but you don't want to have a just insane abundance of resources because you're just wasting money. I mean, having like beds that no one's ever using, having nurses and doctors in a hospital that aren't working because you're wait, you're waiting for the shock is to me, that makes sense from an economic standpoint, because otherwise healthcare, think about how expensive healthcare is. If you had 10%, 20% of the system that always was just sitting around waiting for a shock to the system, it would be even more. And so I don't blame hospitals for not wasting money on resources that they're not going to use. This is a once in a generation um, virus. It's not like this is something that's going to be happening all the time. But I mean, it's, but it's, it's not. not. I mean, it, H1N was swine flu. That was this swine flu was was less severe than the common uh, than the seasonal flu. It killed twelve thousand people in a year. Yeah, out of sixty million cases, but I'm saying it was an inf like. You think that there's not going to be another virus? Not, I mean, not not to this level. I mean, we we're already there's fifteen hundred people that have died already from this thing, and we're four weeks, three weeks away from the peak. We're probably going to see. We're we're probably going to see thirty, forty thousand people die. I mean, that's you know, if you're looking at these numbers. That's right, that's in a, in a four month period, the swine flu killed 12,000 people in a year. And so that is less, the seasonal flu kills what, 30, 40,000. And so that was one third of the flu. This thing could be three or four times, you know, worst case scenario is 10, 20 times, but let's just say three or four times worse than the flu. That doesn't happen very often. I and mean, that's not something that we should be planning for on a daily basis because that's going to make healthcare that much more expensive. Yeah. Well, my point being is you don't know when the next thing is going to pop up. I don't think that this is going to be the last thing that pops up. And I mean, hopefully my point being is it's bad, but it's not some unimaginably bad disease that, that, that happened. It's, it's, it's really not. I mean, if you look at, let's say that the numbers double the seasonal flu and we just absorb that every single year. I, I don't understand. Like, well, what, well, but it, well, what do we just say? We shouldn't prepare for this. And then, something like this pops up and we just need to, you know, lock down, spend $6 trillion, shut down the economy, and then just let 60,000 additional people die because we didn't package up any extra resources. And then we just hope it doesn't happen for a generation. Well, we do have extra resources. We've just never had anything that was this um, uh, communicable. I mean, this thing is, this thing is much, this thing is much more uh, transmissible than the flu. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of, that's why it's so dangerous. But like I said, I mean, well, everything I'm still reading is less than two people. The what? The transmission board? The transmission yes. rate? Well, that um, Ferguson just said it was actually worse. Ferguson's latest numbers say it's actually three. One person infects three people. His initial okay. numbers were two and a half. I was looking at the CDC earlier. Um, and so he, yeah, he's now so. he's now saying it's three. But the concern is is that no, this is a once. I mean, this is a once in a lifetime thing. I mean, because. After this year, we're going to have a vaccine for it. And then it's going to become like the seasonal flu. The seasonal flu would be this deadly if we didn't have a vaccine every year. But because we have a vaccine, 40 to 50% of the population gets 
um, um, becomes immune to it. And then some other people just naturally are, are healthier. So you're looking at a very small percentage that are actually at risk of getting the flu and dying. And so the fact that the number is even 30 or 40 shows you how deadly the seasonal flu is. This could become a, um, a, a seasonal flu, but a vaccine will make it just like the regular flu. The well, reason even, is, is that this is yeah. a novel virus. That's why it's so deadly right now. Exactly. It is. We have nothing. 100%. And that's where I'm saying, I said that from the beginning, like this isn't something that our bodies or have any history of immunity for. We slowly build that up. And I said that when we met three or four weeks ago, I said, <laughs> unfortunately, the best possible scenario is that everyone catches this and builds an immunity to it. So we have a better long-term outcome. Of course, that's not good for the mortality rate because you're still going to have 1% die from it or whatever. The issue that I have is that I even think that the the flu is, is how we underrate it. If you research from the CDC, they talk about what about 50% get a flu shot every year. Um, yeah. Getting it every year, they think actually could be worse um, than because you're starting to see strands break out uh, that are, I, I think they said influenza B maybe over the last two years have had a spike. That's where you saw last year, it was like 50 or 60,000 people died from the flu. Um, you already to see viral, uh, antiviral um, resistant strains of the flu uh, coming around. So that's where my more, my bigger concern is that it could be anything like this. And as much as we think that we have a control over, like, oh, we'll we'll just make a vaccine for it, and everyone next year will get a flu shot and a uh, and a coronavirus shot. Um, the flu shot is at best sixty percent effective. You can still get the flu shot and get it. Um, it can be a strain that's that's yeah. Not this year was actually bad. This year was only like thirty percent. Yeah, and so if half the people get it and it's thirty percent effective. Yeah, I mean, okay, you've taken out 20% of the population. That's good. There's still 80% of the people that can get the flu, and we're talking about this, it's 100%, right? So I think that it's a little disingenuous to say, oh, but people get the flu shot, so the flu isn't even a factor. When Well, it's not as big. Not I mean, 20 percent is a big number. I mean, we're talking about 300 million people. That's, that's yeah, 60 and the million people. people. <laughs> and the people who typically get it are high risk. They make sure yeah. that elderly people get it, which – didn't get this. So this is what makes it worse. Like, yes, it is very bad, but you kind of have to look at it with some sort of context. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at any sort of viral effect, polio, you know, 90%, they said 90 to 95% of people are asympt asymptomatic of polio when it was still prevalent. Yeah, um, but we made so, a vaccine for it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's my point is that if you really want to, to go to an extreme and shut everything down, why haven't we tried to eradicate the flu? Because it's this is worse than the flu. This is worse than the flu. It's not worse than the flu. If we it is no, worse than the flu. It, it's not worse than the flu would have been a hundred years ago, because we didn't have vaccines. And yeah. We and that, well, did you have you seen so um, the flu virus itself? That's what I'm trying to say. Take put, put it in context. We should have. We should have. Then you not did you not see that report that came out that was talking about how um, I guess it was a 1918 with the Spanish flu, right. and there were there were two cities, um, one of them. Uh, it was right around, it was right around St. Patrick's day. So it was right around the same time. They, uh, one city let a parade go on and another city shut everything down. And the city that had the parade and let everything go on, they had like a massive body count in compared to the other city. And so, yeah, I mean, I think things are different because of the media, you know, the, the, the communication that we have now, and we're also able to know a lot more information. I mean, people, a lot of people are blaming globalism 
on this spread when in reality globalism is actually helping us you know communicate with countries like italy and spain and figuring out what's what they're doing and what happened and why this happened and how we could stop it back then it wasn't as easy there wasn't as easy to get information now we still have countries that are lying like china and iran and russia and everything else but um we can communicate better but yeah we probably should have um yeah. i mean i i i am not i mean look at look at california california's numbers are a tenth of new york's and they shut things down way earlier than everyone thought they should have. They had much lower numbers and they seem to be weathering the storm better than New York. New York is, I mean, seriously, could be the next Italy. And they did not build a Blasio. Andrew Cuomo did not take it seriously enough. And it could cost them thousands, if not tens of thousands of lives by that action. And yeah, I mean, the question is, is that and this is one of the things I've been talking about on my show for a lot. And I, I wish I wish I had the audio clip. I don't have it. But this goes back to a point Milton Friedman made when he was talking about, um, you know, I think at the time there was, he was doing his college tour back in the 70s and some college kids had asked him that, that uh, back when Ford had made the Pinto and they'd realized that the Pinto had a, a design flaw in the gas tank and that during a certain type of rear end collision, the gas tank would blow up. And they realized it was a problem. It would cost $13 to fix and do a, you know, $13 per car to do a recall, plus all the other cars that were out there and everything else. And they calculated that it was, you know, likely to happen. Here was the chance that it was going to happen. And every time it happened, it would cost them $200,000. And they figured out it was cheaper to just not tell anyone. And, you know, people criticized them for that. And Milton Friedman was arguing, well, the issue that you have is not that they made that calculation because we make that calculation all the time. Um, if we all wanted to be safe on the roads, we could drive tanks. And if we all wanted to be safe all the time, we wouldn't eat fast food and do all the stuff that we do. But we choose to do that usually because it's cheaper, it's it's uh, it's it's more accessible, whatever it may be. So we choose to maybe buy a cheaper product that's more dangerous. And he said, so the, the issue that you have is not that they calculated the lives of 200,000, is that you think the life is worth more. And that's what we need to figure out. And it's a dis it, people call it morbid and people say it's disgusting. But the conversation that we are having is what are these lives worth? And is shutting down the economy and losing one, two, three, four, five trillion dollars in wealth worth it for the lives that we're going to lose? So if we lose 100,000 lives, is it worth us to lose 10 trillion dollars in the economy versus probably not, maybe. But if we lose a million lives and we only lose like a trillion dollars or a couple trillion dollars, that might be something that we're willing to pay for. And so that's the question. And it's hard to have that conversation. But the question that we, the fundamental question is what do we value human life at? And what are we willing to lose? Are we willing to shut down the economy to save 100,000 people, 500,000, a million? What's the number? And that's, that's the question. That's the fundamental right. question. There is, no, there is no answer to that because it's, it's irrelevant. Well, there is. We just can't have it because people don't want to be, there is an answer. There, there's I mean, no answer. There's there, there's a collective answer. And that, to me, is a fundamental issue of, uh, you know, socialism versus uh, a more conservative individualistic. Uh, if, if you want to get more political uh, theory on it is um, that's the whole point, is that in an individualistic society, there is no price on the individual. Like your rights and your autonomy, as long as it doesn't affect someone else, is much, much, much higher value than a collective society where you say, you know what? Joe got the coronavirus. We just need to shoot him. We need North Korea, throw him in a, you know, in a hole somewhere and cover him up because everyone else is more valuable than that person. Right. And I think that's the situation you see here and why there's a little bit of hysteria around it. Is it, is it matters who it's affecting? You know, if you're, I got off the phone yesterday with a, with a friend of mine who's a uh, primary caregiver for his elderly mother. 
And, you know, he's like, hey, you know, I've been locked down because I'm her sole thing. I can't get her sick. Like to him, he would shut down his entire business and make no money for six months because that's his priority to him. Then you've got the people who were out shotgunning beers on Daytona Beach last week because they think it doesn't affect them and it, it's not a value to them at all. So there's a zero dollar cost to them. Right. So I don't think I don't think there is an answer because it depends on if you talk to somebody that's got a high risk child or mother or you know family member. Um, it's even more scary to them because the idea is that this will affect them as if nothing else would. Yeah. But the problem with this is an individual thing though, because the problem is, is that if I have the coronavirus and I'm like, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to do all these things and I infect people and then they get sick and let's say someone dies. Um, I mean, I've affected that person's life because so that, you know, my freedom of movement or whatever I'm arguing, um, society probably should step in and possibly I should be looking at charges. It's sort of like the same thing that if, if you have AIDS and you go around and are sleeping with people and not informing them that you have AIDS and they get AIDS and then they die, you can be liable for that. I mean, this is something that's been taken to court a couple of times and people have lost. And so, um, if you, you know, it's not an individual thing because if you have it and you're asymptomatic and you're walking around giving it to people and then they are symptomatic and they, you know, almost die or die, um, there should be repercussions for that. And so what our government is doing, I mean, this is why government exists, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm not an anarchist. I mean, government has a role. This is exactly what government's role is, which is to keep people safe to some extent. I mean, if they were shutting everything down which by the way i believe cooper has already has officially announced that um at five o'clock we will be going into shelter in place mode you can still go to the grocery store you can still go to work if you're essential and pretty much everything i've seen like every business seems to be essential um government services are still going to operate i mean it, it it's it what it is is and i i don't think there's gonna be people locked up and thrown in prison which makes even less sense if we were to do that but i think what it's telling people is the government is taking this seriously you know, they declare martial law. We can have a conversation about that. But the government telling people to stay in your damn house while we get through this, if you can, you know, if you can work from home and, you know, you can operate. If you have to go into work, that's fine. But keep your travel somewhat uh, small. Only go where you have to. I think that's exactly what government's supposed to do. I mean, the same thing if there was like an active shooter. We want to know where the what, what the problem is. And I want the government to keep me safe from that. This is the same thing is that we don't know who patient zero is walking around. We all could be patient zero. So the best thing is for us all to stay in our collective places and then wait for this thing to blow over. And then we can get back to normal life. Um, otherwise we're going to have the conversation that we were just talking about, which is, well, maybe we should reopen everything and just say, okay, we're going to lose 200,000 people or a hundred thousand people. Fine. That's, that's worth it to keep the economy going. Um, but I don't think this is an overreach of the government. Like everyone keeps saying this is an overreach. I don't think it is. I think this is exactly what government's supposed to do is, is uh, protect people in society. And because it's like, I keep quoting George Carlin who famously said, think about how dumb the average person is. And then realize that 50% of the population is dumber than him. And people are acting stupid. You talked about the spring break people, those idiots went down to spring break. And like one of them got the coronavirus. I mean, like it's just, it's, it's nuts. And, and especially with something like this, 
I don't think people realize how bad it can get. I mean, like New York two weeks ago was fine. Now you're having 500 people a day die, or not, not 500 people, 100 people a day dying in the in the city. 13 people in one hospital, and we're not even at the peak yet. And so I just, I just think this is exactly what government's supposed to do: um, is tell people, hey, you know, shelter in, and we can have a conversation about is that worth the economy? And like I said, that's a different conversation. But I don't think I, I don't personally feel like this is a government overreach. This is what they're supposed to do. Of course not, because you're a Bernie Sanders guy. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, listen, I, I think there's a different argument between does it fundamentally make sense, which it does. And in, in truthfully, I think statistically the, the, sh the, the ship has left the dock. I think that if they were going to shut things down, it should have been six weeks ago. You know, I, I think that we're in a bad situation. I mean, even the spring break example, if there's more, I'm sure more than one person got it from there and they shared it with three people who shared or they it already had it yeah. with three people, uh, you know, it, it, if this is that contagious and it, and it doubles every three days and you're going to give it to three people, th there's no way mathematically that this isn't just all over the place. And the RNA uh, uh, diagnostics have already shown that the infections in the United States are from Wuhan, other places in China, Europe, Iran, like there are multiple entry points uh, into the countries. That's irrelevant though. My, I, what I want to have a conversation about in this time and we're look 49 minutes in, how about that? Um, is what are we going to learn from this? What are we going to do better? Like even this $2 trillion is absurd. I said, we were going to mention the stimulus, but we've already spent two weeks arguing back and forth about spending $2 trillion to send. And they, I, today they, they said that this is supposed to be an eight week uh, float. And then in, yeah. in, in six more weeks, they'll reevaluate. And I'm like, so they're going to send people $1,200 to survive for two months. I, I just well, think no, no, the, unemployed, the, un the, un the unemployment is more than generous. I mean, the unemployment is act one of their concerns is that more people are, they're going to make more money on unemployment than they were making at their job. I mean, you're making 600 bucks a week for four if you're months. A traditional employee. No, this applies to anybody. So anyone who's in fact still working, but had a pay cut can go apply for unemployment. Yes. Yeah. They've, they've completely dropped the, um, a lot of the, uh, normal regulations that are required because or non-traditional employees, like gig employees, people that are self-employed, other people can all apply for this because of the extenuating, you know, how extreme the circumstances are right now. Um, at least that's what I've heard, um, that they've changed that. I'm not sure exactly what the classification is, but I have heard that gig employees, freelancers, uh, non-traditional employees because of how crazy this is. Right. Cause um, I mean, imagine you're a, you're a waitress and let's say you're still working at a restaurant doing carry out, but you're not making tips. You're not yeah. making a fraction of what you used to be making, but you're employed. You're, yeah. You can, you're allowed to apply. You're allowed to apply. But like, even if you drove Uber, you're allowed to apply, which would basically, I mean, there's, there's no employment contract there. So they've made it easier, but I mean, also, I mean, I have no problem. I have zero problem with the government spending $2 trillion to get us out of this thing. I mean, we are, we are shutting down the United States economy. I mean, it, this isn't a bailout. Right. All these, all these 100%. people are like, Oh, it's a bailout. When you shut down someone's business and then it's, it's, and as many have said, it's, it's uh, analogous to eminent domain. You're taking someone's property. You have to give them something for it. The, the, the reason why it's a problem is because we've been so stupid that we've been running a trillion dollar deficit while things were good. Right. This is, you know, when things get bad, that's when you spend and you get the checkbook out. The reason why it looks so devastating now is because we're, we already were going to run a trillion dollar deficit. 
So now we're going to run two, maybe an extra $3 trillion on top of that. So now we're looking at a $4 trillion deficit this year, plus probably another $3 trillion next year. Now we're at $30 trillion. Well, and that goes back to my point. This is what I was saying about why aren't we prepared for this? And I understand that individual hospitals, you know, I mean, so, I mean, I know they charge $6 for an aspirin, so it'd be a lot to ask to put some aside for a rainy day. But even just as a government, we've got hangers full of, of helicopters and airplanes. We've got uh, storehouses full of weapons and ammunition, and, and we spend hundreds of billions every year on defense to make sure that we're prepared for a physical threat, but we don't have storehouses of ventilators or masks or gloves that they would be rolling out in this situation. I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm like, if we're going to spend $2 trillion, if we're going to unroll $4 trillion out of the Fed, why don't they take $500 billion over the next year and invest in some centralized locations of, say, medical equipment for an, a viral yes. outbreak so that we're not just totally blindsided by this. The issue with the Fed, though, the Fed is not – the Fed's money is coming back. Um, the Fed the – Fed, the Fed spending money is not that big of a deal. I mean, sure, it's like unprecedented. But when the Fed buys mortgage-backed securities and treasuries, um, they're going to get paid for those. They're buying – something that's going to be worth something. And so then what happens was that, huh? Why can't we audit them then? That's why I remember it was funny when it was announced that, um, so, you know, the overnight markets, the repo markets, that Mm -hmm. the fed was going to inject some liquidity into those markets. And the number kept going up and up and up. And at one point it got to about 1.5, um, was 1.5 trillion. I can't remember what it was. I mean, and um, everyone was joking online, like 1.5 trillion. Like, you know how many uh, families could use that money? The problem is, is that in the repo market, it means short-term borrowing. So you have to pay the money back in some cases in 24 hours, in other cases, 30 days. So it'd be like if you gave the average family a thousand dollars in 30 days said, okay, we need that money back with interest. <laughs> like that's not going to happen. So the, the, the treasury injecting $4 trillion into a, a, all these different markets by buying these mortgage-backed securities and treasuries they're going to get money back for that. So they're not actually losing money. It's just them. It's, it's sending out loans. The two trillion, that's just straight up infusion. Like they're giving companies money. They're giving us money. Um, the Fed going to get that money back. And then a lot of times they'll just roll over the bonds or um, they'll just fall off the books and they'll take the money and then they'll put it back. And, and so the Fed, I mean, sure, it's unprecedented, but for the most part, it's, um, it's money they're going to get back. The, the, you know, that's the difference between fiscal and monetary policy. The Congress is just giving money to people. <laughs> so that's a little bigger of a deal. The Fed will get that money back. It's just crazy how much debt they're going to have on their books. Um, and they're essentially buying their own debt. I mean, it's it's very bizarre, but it's technically sketchy. they get that money back. It's like it's like not even like real money. To, to right, it's, it's not real bizarre. money. That, that's my point is it's, it's a bizarre situation. So $2 trillion, that's straight up. We're just giving people that money. On and that, what do you gone. think about? I mean, basically three quarters of that is going other places than prime the pump directly into into checks. What do you think about that? I mean, so here's my question: You had Thomas Massey out here challenging this, saying, "Why are we spending two trillion when really the goal all along has been to write a check to the American people to keep them afloat to buy necessities and everything until hopefully this ends and they all go back to work and paychecks start coming in." And Trump is lambasting him today on, I mean, just destroying him when I feel like, is it the Trump mentality? Shouldn't he be going after all of the special interests, like the, the money to the Kennedy center in this bill? Like, isn't that his target? Yeah. I mean, he's not wrong, but at the same time, 
I mean, <laughs> yeah, would I love to have seen a clean bill? Like all it is is paychecks oh. to families and money to companies. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. You know, it's really funny. You know, here's what's really funny is so I, I was talking with uh, Congressman David Rouser recently and I um, met him on the show. And he was talking about how the the, Demo the Republicans did a good job of, of booting a lot of that stupid new Green Deal stuff out. But he said that also what got thrown out was because oil is so cheap, they wanted, they put a provision in the bill that would have allowed uh, the president to buy a bunch of oil and put it in the strategic petroleum reserve. And the Republican or the Democrats, of course, because, you know, they hate oil. Uh, they, they didn't want that. So they threw it out. And he goes, that's a real shame. And it was kind of funny because I was like, well, wait, hold on now. I agree with you on all of that, but why is that in the bill? <laughs> like you're doing the same crap that the Democrats are doing and all Republicans will go, yeah, yeah, but it makes sense. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with the stimulus. Like the oil um, issue has nothing to do with the economy. Sure, oil prices are down, but we also know it's because Russia um, and Saudi Arabia are flooding the markets with oil to try and tank um, our oil shale uh, businesses because they're mad that we're, we're now an oil exporter. That's the majority of the reason why oil is down. Uh, the economy also is going to cause it to drop, but that has nothing to do with this. And like, he acted like it was like, Oh, those stupid Democrats. I'm like, you're doing the same thing. Like that's why we don't have a clean bill because the Republicans and Democrats both trying to shove stuff in there. And yeah, I love to see a clean bill, but you know, welcome to Washington. That's, yeah. that's the unfortunate well, reality. Clearly Trump has drained the swamp. I know. Uh, <laughs> Well, someone said he drained the swamp and then put all his uh, put all of his own swamp water in there. <laughs> that was the problem. Is that it's like everyone everyone hates the establishment until they're a part of it. That's yeah. my theory on life. Is the minute like you're like, oh, this is great. I'm 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 in the position of power. I can give jobs to my friends and hand money out to them. And but they're good though. It's like it's like the you know it, it's stupid to waste money on the Kennedy Center, but it totally makes sense to spend money on the uh, Strategic uh, Petroleum Reserve. And it does make sense, but it should not be in a stimulus bill. <laughs> That is not going to help Americans buying oil. I mean, it, it's good, but it's not going to help. And so both sides do that garbage. But like yeah. I said, welcome to Washington. Well, the nice part is, is that in the future, when something bad happens, a $2 trillion bill won't be historic anymore. So it'll have to step it up a notch. I mean, we could see that like in four months. <laughs> I mean, I, I am, I'll tell you right now, I, it, it, it's almost just like, it, it like makes my brain hurt. It like looking at like these numbers and how much in debt we're going to be. And, you know, you look at the projections and then they want to get rid of the payroll tax. It's like, guys, social security is going bankrupt in 20 years. You're going to get rid of the only funding source for social security. Oh, we'll just put it in the general fund. No, no, we just borrowed $2 trillion from the general fund. I, don't, like, I, don't, the I mean, finances, I mean, I'm going to pull my freaking hair out are making me go crazy on this. It's okay. I mean, if if we don't all die from coronavirus, as Tyler predicts, <laughs> we'll worry about Social Security being there. Listen, yeah. listen. I'm gonna. I want to make this very clear. I I hope I'm wrong. You know, every this is the problem with making like a doomsday projection. Is that like so? If you're like one of those people who's like, I remember there are a couple of people that predicted the 2008 crash, like Peter Schiff and um, uh, Schiller and and uh, James Rickards and others who called the crash. Does that mean they wanted it to happen? No. And that's the, everyone always goes, oh, well, that was your prediction. So you want, I don't want to see a massive body count. I pray to God I'm wrong. Like if I'm wrong, like I will be like, yay, I'll cheer. We'll pop champagne on the show. I'll be so happy. So I'm not rooting like, so I can be proven right. Like, haha, I told you so, Kevin. Like I told you a million people were going to die. See, look how smart I am. God, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I really hope this thing is not that bad. 
Um, but I'd, I'd rather play it safe than us see numbers like that. So that's that's why I'm defaulting. I'm a cautious guy, Kevin. I don't take risks. You know me. Well, that's me. I think, and that's why I'm. I love having these discussions with you, even though this is way. Normally, we just agree with each other for thirty minutes. So this is this is way true. More fun. Now we disagreed for an entire hour. So for an entire hour. Um, but um, but I mean, that's it. In, in in the most middle ground way possible, we both want the best outcome. We both want people to be able to to make money and and not see their families impacted forever from this economically. Uh, any more than we don't want to see people die. We don't want to see the healthcare system. And, 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 and to be honest, there's a lot of silver lining in this. I am, I love honestly how the private sector has stepped up and I really want to bring this up every single time people start to bash evil companies um, between, uh, I saw today GM has a thousand workers volunteering to, that are going to be making uh, ventilators if the ventilation company and FEMA can arrange a contract. So there's so many instances of government getting in the way. The uh, certificate of need here in North Carolina. Well, I mean, we talk about number of beds and resources available. You have to apply through the state to be able to add that. Maybe we should get rid of that. You know, I'm, I'm well, they did. They, temp they temporarily lifted it. They did lift forever. That's my point. Yeah, we need no, to, I agree. Yeah. If if we need to lift it in a crisis like this, if it makes no sense to not be prepared, it should be forever gone. Along with things like beer delivery, I think we should we should leave that in place. Um, I'm just saying the markets are working. Elon Musk has 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 done more. Uh, to help the hospitals uh, in this country than um, than most governors have. So I'll just. I agree with the private sector, but at the same time, I also think that once again, this is, this is exactly why government exists. Um, what they're doing right now, looking at these numbers saying, here's what the citizens should be doing. And like I said, overreach, I don't want overreach. Um, these, these are executive powers that, that, that um, are given to the governor or mayor or, not the president, by the way. Not, I mean, this is this is why I also like federalism. States are being allowed to choose, and some are making good decisions, some are making bad decisions. Um, but I do not want to see the president get too involved. I think this should be up to the governors. And so I like the fact that it's federalism. I like the fact, I mean, in North Carolina, the state really is the, the, the end-all, be-all of government. And so this is exactly what government's supposed to be doing, keeping us safe. Um, they can overreach. I don't think they have, um, but it is, it is possible. But this is exactly why government exists. Government's not supposed to, you know, help with income inequality or, or you know, make sure that we buy, you know, only North Carolina products or American products. Or that's not the role of government. Government is supposed to keep us safe. This is what they're supposed to be doing. It's like borders, and police, and fire, and hospitals. So that's that's all we want government to do. And that this this falls into that category. So that's why I'm not that upset with what government's doing. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Any uh, any final thoughts? No, I do not. We've gone way too long. So we had a, we, we actually had a couple comments while it was live. Can you see them on your side? Can you um, see let me see. Oh yeah, um, I can. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure, agree with you. And uh, and we had a couple of comments. Brian Black was tuning in. So I like this. I like this live stream idea um, for our uh, podcast people. We'll um we'll try to arrange this. The hard part for Tyler and I is we never do this at the exact same time. On yeah. The well, we can we can work on that. I'm I'm gonna to be honest with you is that I actually see this podcast um growing exponentially because what what else we got to do? Like you know normally I'm out and about. Um you know Mr. Social. I'm just kidding. It's like I'm between naps. Um but now that's there's nothing to do so um I, I think we should go uh daily 
until, <laughs> until the stay at home band. Let's, let's chill there, bro. <laughs> All right. Uh, twice, twice, twice a week. Is that bi-weekly or is that twice a week or, or once every other week? Is bi-weekly twice a week? Remember, we tried to figure this out before, right? No, by it can be either. So can bi-monthly. Yes, yeah, so it can be either. Okay. That's how I, I, I didn't know. I didn't say bi-weekly. I said twice. <laughs> twice a week. Yeah, it's bi-weekly. You just said twice. That's bi-weekly. That's what I said. <laughs> you asked me to clarify what it meant. I didn't even use the term. You said twice a week, though. That, then I said bi-weekly, joking. Yes. Yeah. That's. All right. You want me to play the theme music out and get us out of here? That would be a perfect opportunity. All right. Let's do that. <laughs> 